This is a Seven West Media podcast. We're beginning today's episode with a trigger warning. We're discussing a controversial, emotional, but incredibly important issue abortion and a woman's right to access health care. On this day, where we saw what happened in Alabama, let us all agree that women's health care is under attack and we will not stand for it. We will not stand for it. You know, we have got an obligation, I believe, to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. Do you know what it's like to be raped? No, ma'am, I don't. Do you know what it's like to have a relative commit incest on you? On me, no, ma'am. In Australia, abortion laws depend on the state you live in. In the US, access has been a guaranteed right since 1973. But since the start of the year, close to 20 US states have introduced stricter abortion laws. In some cases almost a ban. It's reignited the debate, not just in the US, but in Australia and around the world. So what exactly is going on? And is it part of a wider threat to reproductive rights? I asked Seven News US Bureau Chief Ashley Mullaney and public health expert Dr Jackie Hendricks. To start with, Ash, I mean, let's go really general. What's happening to abortion law in the US? Well, this has really been a battle that's been probably more than four decades in the making, but it's definitely something that's reached, a, uh, I guess, a political flashpoint now, uh, you know, 18 months out from an election. There is nothing more powerful than a group of determined sisters... And it was in Trump's first year uh, where we had a women's march. And I remember walking through the march and women holding up placards and and chanting and talking about women's rights uh, and and abortion rights. And it was a a huge issue then. Ashley Mullaney is Seven's US bureau chief based in Los Angeles. But she reports from all over the US on the biggest news stories from Washington to Alabama. Alabama, this this bill that's passed, this law that's been introduced in Alabama has definitely put it back on the agenda here. And what is that law? So this was a bill that was introduced, which is basically the most uh, the most extreme uh, version of an, an abortion ban in America, whereby uh, an abortion is illegal basically from conception and there are no exceptions with this law so uh, there's no exception for for rape and for incest uh, and doctors face 99 years prison uh, for performing an abortion in Alabama so there are other states uh, seven other states that have passed what are known as heartbeat bills in America whereby they have banned abortions from the point of where a heartbeat can be can be heard, so uh, from about six weeks onwards, and, and a lot of critics are saying, well, that is when most women are finding out that they are even pre- pregnant. So these are states like Missouri, Iowa, um, Ohio, Kentucky. So we've definitely.
definitely seen this push towards anti-abortion laws in, in a number of states this year. And it's all just happened in 2019. Yeah, all of these all of these laws, all of these states have been pushing for this this year. And I think it's uh I mean, there were there was a lot of concern when Brett Kavanaugh, the Supreme Court justice, um, was nominated here in America, and I think a lot of conservatives see this as a point in time to challenge this, uh, what's known as uh, Roe v. Wade, uh, landmark ruling from 1973 that uh, legalized abortion in America. Those who are anti-abortion see this as the time to start uh, pushing for a Supreme Court challenge. So it's important to note that while all of these um, laws have been introduced at the state level, they're not actually enforceable because there is this overarching uh, constitutional protection. There's this overruling uh, federal law that legalises abortion, but that's exactly why they're doing it. That's why the bills backers in Alabama, that's why these anti-abortion um, activists are pushing for this because they actually want to take this um, all the way to the Supreme Court and, and have this battle. Tonight, could the culture wars now make a comeback as a top issue in 2020? Talk us through the response over there. I mean, first of all, um, the president, how has Trump responded? Donald Trump um, has changed his position over the years. So back in 99, he was quoted as saying that he was uh, very pro-choice. And then in 2016, as candidate Trump, he said he was pro-life with exceptions. Look, I mean, I'm, as you know, I'm pro-life. I think you know that. Um, and uh, I, with exceptions, with the three exceptions. Years, Do you believe years, in punishment for abortion, yes or no, as a principle? Uh, the answer is that there has to be some form of punishment. For the woman? Yeah, there has to be some form. Ten cents, ten years, I don't what? Know. That I don't know. What it, about the guy that gets her pregnant? Determined. Is he responsible under the law for these abortions? Uh, or is he not responsible for an abortion decision? Well, it, hasn't, it hasn't, different feelings, different people. Yeah. I would say no. And it is a, it's something that is almost self-evident, but can you just break down for us, what are the two sides? What is pro-life, what is pro-choice, and what is it that both believe in? It's such a deeply personal um, issue. People have different views on what pro-life would mean. There are people who are in support of abortion, but only at certain stages. Under Roe v Wade, it's it's abortions can be carried up up until the point that a fetus is, is viable, that it can survive outside of the womb. So that's up to about 24 to 28 weeks. Um, so that's as it stands now, but certainly state by state is they are coming in with different rules or different regulations on, on where they will draw the line at a, a legal abortion. The idea of this heartbeat bill that is more sort of six to eight weeks and, that, and that's the position that a number of states have taken and, and so I guess the idea of where a line or where that should be drawn just varies so much across the country and across people's personal views. Somewhere between one in four or one in five um, people who can get pregnant in this country will have access to an abortion at some stage in their lifetime. So it is a significant number. Dr Jackie Hendricks is a lecturer in public health at Curtin University. She specialises in sexology, health promotion and attitudes towards contraception and abortion. 
as sort of a sexologist and someone who researches in this area, for you, is abortion a woman's health issue? Absolutely. Um, There's a significant number of um, unplanned pregnancies that happen throughout the world and we should all have access to um, safe abortion services should we need to access them. And there's a variety of um, health reasons why, why we may need to access an abortion. Rape or um, a case of incest um, is just one example. There's uh, fetal anomalies, which is another and can be quite contentious as well. Um, but also, you know, a lot of people are using contraception um, and don't have 100% efficacy rates. So um, unfortunately, unplanned and unwanted pregnancies do happen. Yeah, nothing's ever black and white, is it? No, and I don't think, um, you know, I I can't speak for all women who've had an abortion. There will be um, people who've had abortions. Some will will do it and they won't have thought about the procedure. They won't reflect on it much afterwards. But for a vast majority of individuals Mm -hmm. who do have a termination, I think it's, it's really unfair of us to suggest that a lot of thought isn't being put into having that procedure done and then it doesn't affect people personally. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a decision taken lightly. It's not used as a form of contraception. It is a decision that can weigh heavily on, on their mind, but it, it, they still feel that it's the best option for them at that time and place. Yeah. And what about Australia? So obviously there's been a few changes in America, but how does abortion law work in Australia? So our problem in Australia at the moment is it's regulated by the various states and territories and each of them do have um, different laws when it comes to your ability to access abortion. Um, We have seen it get a little bit easier in a couple of um, states in the last couple of years, which is great. We've seen the introduction of um, safe access zones, so um, basically preventing protesters um, or anyone who might want to harass someone who's trying to access a clinic, um, not being able to be allowed within, say, 150 metres of that facility. But we have had clinics and health services being closed, so in some states you do have to travel interstate um, to access a service, which just adds to the, the time and the cost and the stress involved. And we also don't routinely collect data on the number of abortions that are performed in Australia. So, you know, our ability to be fully aware of the issue in our country, to be able to develop appropriate policy is really limited when um, we've only got a few states who routinely collect the numbers and statistics around this. So how would it help if we did have sort of a national database? We'd have a much clearer idea of how many weeks gestation people were um, having the procedure performed, um, what method those clinics were utilising because um, there's different ways that a, a, um, abortion can be performed. You know, if our efforts are to reduce the overall number of abortions, perhaps um, greater statistics might indicate um, some target areas that we could focus on. The fight over Roe v. Wade is quickly reaching a boiling point. State after state passing new restrictive laws. The legal fight that will now come after the governor signed this bill tonight 
will take the debate right to the Supreme How Court. How does the United States Supreme Court work and who are the Supreme Court justices? So uh, the way the Supreme Court works, much like the High Court in Australia, it's sort of the last legal avenue. So this is going to be a long, drawn-out process. As you can imagine in Australia, when something goes through uh, various different courts and legal challenges, legal channels, it's the High Court is the last, the last resort, the last legal avenue and the same goes here at the Supreme Court. So each of these states know that they are in for a long fight. This will probably have to go through two other levels of court systems before it reaches the Supreme Court. And then it's up to um, the Chief Justice there to decide whether to, to look into this appeals process. It is emotional. I, like, I, I can see both perspectives. You know, you, when you balance it out, if somebody honestly believes they're trying to save a life, you can see how they're so passionate about it. But, you know, there's two sides of the coin. At the, at the end of the day, um, it comes down to an individual and their relationship with their doctor and what is um, mm. the in the best interest of that individual and their ongoing health um, and perhaps having a child... Um, is, for whatever reason, um, not an appropriate thing for them at that time. Absolutely. As I said, you know, many people take um, great precaution to prevent pregnancy and they still happen anyway. We're really seeing this abortion issue shape up, I believe, to be a wedge issue coming into the 2020 campaign. If this is the fight that President Trump wants, if this is a fight he wants with America's women, it is a fight he will have and it is a fight he will lose. Candidates will have to come out. They will have to say what their position is. I'm here to stand with the majority of Americans who believe in women's reproductive freedom. Most Americans believe that these decisions ought to be left to the woman who is faced with these sometimes unthinkable medical situations. Without compulsory voting here, I think it's probably something that people would feel compelled to come out and, and vote on if it, if it reaches that point. Here in Washington, D.C., in Alabama, in Georgia, in Ohio, in Missouri, to stop the bans on abortion, to protect our families. People feel strongly about this one way or the other. We've seen that today when we've had national protests across the country, people coming out to uh, protest these uh, abortion restrictions around the country. Abortion rights are human rights. Uh, and there's a sense of urgency, I think, uh, amongst these candidates uh, and amongst these um, abortion rights activists to, uh, to make a noise now and to make sure that uh, their voices are heard because there are certainly groups here that... Um, that know that they want to take this all the way to the top. And let's look at this big picture. So women's health in general, how is it going? How easy is it to access women's health products in Australia? Um, so contraception in Australia is relatively easy to access, especially in comparison to many other countries. It is about having a level of knowledge about what's available to you. And um, I've seen a lot of evidence in the research that I've done that people are generally um, quite well educated on what's available but young people, young females in particular that I um, interviewed in one particular study, whilst they were aware of contraception and they had used it, often there would be some sort of side effect along the way 
And for many uh, girls, you know, some were really proactive. They had a side effect and so um, they would be good advocates for their own health and they'd go back to the GP and say, you know, this particular brand of pill didn't work for me, this particular method didn't work for me, I want to find another one. Whereas there was another subset of girls who, you know, did have some side effects and weren't as proactive in going back and seeking an alternative and they then consequently found themselves pregnant. So yeah, I think we do need to upskill people to be really um, proactive and to be advocates for their own health, to make them aware that there are a whole range of contraceptive options out there. And if one doesn't work for you, that you need to be proactive in, in going and finding something else. How do we get the message out? I think we need to do a much better job in schools. Uh, We need to be a lot more comprehensive with our delivery there. I think um, some schools do an excellent job, but it's certainly not something that's mandated. Um, And that would go a long way to assisting and making young people in particular feel more empowered to control their reproductive health. Sex is, you know, there's still a lot of shame and stigma and embarrassment around it. It's not something that um, as a patient we necessarily feel empowered to go into a health service and start a conversation about and sometimes we need those experts to to start that conversation for us. And I suppose if the doctor starts the conversation and the doctor is really chilled out about it, it's almost contagious. Yeah, it is. And that, that's a lot of a lot of it. You've got to um, re- it's just a, a normal part of everybody's health. Um, we have our physical health, we have our mental health and we have our sexual health and we need to treat them all uh, equally. And you mentioned sex education at school earlier. How does that work now? So we had a new national curriculum that was rolled out a couple of years ago. So it's pretty open-ended in the way the uh, language is framed for teachers. So they're given guidelines about what sort of topics they need to cover each year. Um, And often it talks about personal safety and developing the personal or body safety of, of the students. So yeah, we do do definitely need to tighten the language where our curriculum is involved. The UK, for example, has just mandated relationships and sexuality education in their country and that will be rolling out over the next couple of years. Um, They're a lot more explicit about the exact topics that must be taught in every year of schooling. I have to say, when I think of a teacher not comfortable teaching this topic, I think of Mean Girls with the the gym teacher. (laughs) He's often our go-to example that I use in my university lectures. Don't have sex because you will get pregnant and die. Don't have sex in the missionary position. Don't have sex standing up. Just don't do it. Promise? You know, credit to the teachers, they don't actually get any training or, you know, the vast majority of them don't get training or support to deliver this sort of content um, when they're training to be teachers. There's some phenomenal resources. We have got so many great learning activities um, in Australia that teachers could use to talk about respectful relationships, uh, how to use condoms, safer sex practices. And I suppose... If we get the sex education right, that kind of underlines the whole issue of, you know, sexual health and in particular women's health. And in that case, you know, knowledge is power. Yeah, it's definitely a big part of the puzzle. um, We need to improve the education that young people receive. We also need to be educating people throughout their lives. So even as young adults, the space is changing all the time. New methods are available with 
got issues with sexting and pornography, which wouldn't have been an issue for someone, say, 10 or 15 years earlier. We wouldn't have been taught about that sort of stuff at school. Um, And even for older populations, people separating from long-term partners and divorcing, or if a a partner's died, for example, and then they're putting themselves back out there and and dating and having relationships again, they will probably require a bit of upskilling Um, with what's available to them. So how do we help women who, you know, maybe don't have access to contraception, abortion? How do we help them? Well, abortion in Australia is still quite an expensive um, procedure. So we should be obviously looking at that and hoping, I would be hoping that we could subsidise that in some way Um, and, and obviously opening up the number of services that are available throughout the country so that we don't have the added cost of having to travel a long distance to be able to access that service. When abortions were illegal in our country, women died. They died because they were not given choice. It's a fundamental issue. Okay, so Jackie, I suppose the question uh, that we get to here is, you know, if this is successful over in America, Roe versus Wade is overturned in the most extreme circumstance and abortion becomes illegal, what happens in that case? What do women do if abortion isn't allowed anymore? Um, Well, internationally, we've seen that in places where abortion is not available or not easily accessible, um, it doesn't actually affect the abortion rate in any way. Women um, will still go out and access these services. Um, Obviously, it's a lot more difficult for them to do so, um, and they'll use a Without um, a medical service to provide it, the ways in which they might try and access abortion will be quite dangerous and they're absolutely risking their own health in that instance. So yeah, unfortunately you hear some horror stories about different medications um, and different um, things that people might try and insert into their bodies to um, try and terminate that pregnancy and there's no reason to believe that um, women here in Australia or you know in America um, wouldn't still be trying to terminate these pregnancies and using every option um, that they can get their hands on in order to do that. It's one of those issues, it's moral, it's political, it's legal, it's just so complex. It's so complex and it is a lot of passion on both sides. Of, of the debate and, and we've seen it play out. I think it's a, you know, an important part of how, how things are changing is seeing this play out on social media as well and the likes of uh, Busy Phillips and celebrities who have, uh, who have created a bit of a movement online to sharing their own stories under this hashtag, you know me, which is basically saying that one in four women have had an abortion and maybe it's not someone that you, well, you think you don't know someone who has, but uh, they are sharing their personal stories uh, to hopefully raise some awareness about this as well. Lady Gaga was tweeting about it, saying it's a travesty, and we're seeing groups galvanised on on both sides of this of this debate. I suppose politically around the world, it does feel like we're getting more conservative. Are you optimistic that we can do this? Um, yeah, I think um, reflecting on that the other day, I think. Um, Yes, what happens in America does scare me. Um, But then I see examples of um, great stuff done in our various states and territories from time to time, which is reassuring. Um, And we also need to not 
always look at America. I think if you look at what's happening in New Zealand and Canada, um, the United Kingdom, they're, they're moving forward um, when it comes to sexual and reproductive health in a, in a lot of ways, not all. Um, so, yeah, I think there is reason to be a little bit optimistic. That was Seven News US Bureau Chief Ashley Mullaney and public health researcher Dr Jackie Hendricks. That is your news fix for this week. Every week we'll dig a little deeper and go behind the headlines. News Fix is produced by Seven West Media. Supervising producer is John Buck. Our executive producer is Nikki Hamilton. And the director of News and Public Affairs is Craig McPherson. I'm Cyan Doherty. Thanks for listening. <laughs>